Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have any questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. As Dan was sharing a couple of those um, just giving opportunities and talking about what it's like to really live the life of the church and be a part of communities and the work that God is doing. Uh, I'm just, I'm grateful. Uh, I love being a part of this family with you. I love how you're using um, your gifts and your resources to support what's going on in the ministry. Uh, just yesterday, uh, many of you were probably here for Upward Soccer as our, our second week I saw many of you there either because you have a child playing or you're supporting families um, who have children who are uh, playing. Um, I'm, I'm just grateful for that. So we had Upward going on, and then on top of that, uh, there was a wedding that we hosted here uh, in the afternoon. Um, later today, there are some training meetings for both our, our kids' ministry volunteers who are actively ministering to our students or our kids every week. And then our safety team has a meeting as well. There's training there. That's important. There's people using their gifts. We are a part of a church. You are the church who is stewarding your gifts well, and I'm just, I'm grateful for that. There's a couple of those giving opportunities that Dan mentioned this morning, also ways that we can <clears throat> give and be a part of the kingdom. Uh, one of the other things that Pastor Dan mentioned, um, man, I tell you sometimes the things that he'll start praying are the things that I'm, I'm ready, just about ready to come up and say or do some, uh, speak through, and he kind of starts taking some of those things out of, maybe it's because we serve the same God. Uh, one spirit. Uh, but as I was uh, over there before coming up to, to dive into the word with you this morning, this is something we get to do together. Um, I was just overwhelmed again by the feast that is God's word. That word you took right out of my mind. The feast that we have available to us in the word of God. So um, with that um, knowledge, uh, I want to dive into scripture today to see what the Lord has for us. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to take those and open those to uh, Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 16 today. Uh, Matthew 16, that's right after 15, before 17. I actually said that backwards in first service. (laughs) Made myself out to be a fool. That was good. Matthew chapter 16. Um, Also, in teaching Scripture today, uh, you know me, I'm not one who's big on alliterations um, in Scripture. That's kind of more Dan's thing, but uh, it was ripe for the picking today. So I will let you know that there is alliterations coming in Scripture um, as we uh, learn to apply some of these things. We have three P's and three D's today that we're going to be looking through. So the book of Matthew, I've been working through Matthew with a group of, uh, a small group of men on Tuesday nights for the last several months. Um, and while Matthew, this gospel is not new to me, uh, God's Word is alive. And so uh, as I have reread this gospel, there are themes and there are details that have hit me afresh through God's Spirit. And that has only gone to deepen my wonder and my love for Jesus. And so in preparation for our text today, Gospel of Matthew, um, this was written primarily for a Jewish audience. Uh, and it, it, uh, Matthew, especially near the beginning, you'll see almost it seems every paragraph, he, um, he lays in some Old Testament prophecy that he references heavily, trying to show the, his readers, proving out and driving home the messianic fulfillment, the Messiah that is found in, uh, in Jesus, in his time, in his ministry, who he was, 
and what he came uh, to do. And with that really comes this living out of, of a kingdom. So as Jesus fulfills um, these prophecies and who he is and what he comes to bring, with that for his followers comes a, a, an ethic, a kingdom ethic. As Jesus is the Messiah, he is also king. And so what is being revealed in this gospel is that how we are to live then as participants in this spiritual realm that Jesus was both revealing in himself and establishing everywhere his followers would be. So as we lead into our text today, Jesus has had many interactions with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and his teaching has not only really threatened their authority, but blatantly revealed that their devotion to God is nothing more than self-serving piety, doing right for looking good's sake. You need to know that Jesus is after something deeper than that. He's after something deeper than that, which I think is on display um, as we read today. So we're going to read our main passage. We're going to look at some details, then we'll lean on some support passages as we aim to hear what the text has to say to us today. So Matthew 16, we'll start in verse 21, uh, read through 27. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good would it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. So Lord Jesus, as we look to your word, as we aim to listen to you today, Will you speak to us? We long to hear what it is that you would have to say. Encourage us, exhort us, rebuke us, reprove us. Lord, we want to hear from you. Pray this in Jesus' name. So as we look at this passage now um, in a bit more of a detailed way, uh, you'll, you'll notice that this, this short passage really is broken into two sections. There's this brief narrative that then gives way to a following instruction. And so if you look at it with this uh, filter, or understanding it this way, you, I think you can better see that what Jesus will call for, he first exemplifies for his disciples. So with that in mind, verse 21, it says, From that time on. Now this was a bit of a turning point in Matthew's gospel. Jesus, it says, began to explain, right? So it's indicating from that time on, he began, indicating that what he was explaining was then probably repeated and emphasized in the following days and weeks, which would indicate that whatever this was, was utterly important. 
So it also, I think, it would uh, behoove us to know what that time was that this began to go on. So from that time on, well, what was that time? As many of you are probably familiar um, with this passage or this, uh, what we'll call maybe an outburst towards Peter, this comes on the heels of the blessing that Peter had just received after his confession of Jesus' lordship. And so I think understanding what happened there is important for us as it ties two critical pieces uh, together. And so let's go back a little bit further into verse 13. And this is just after Jesus has warned his disciples to be on guard against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees, for they did not have in mind the heart of God. And so in verse 13, he asks them this question. Who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, the Son of Man was a messianic term. It was referencing the, the rescuer, the Messiah, the one who had been prophesied about, the one who would deliver the Jews out of bondage and restore them. They knew what that term was. Who is the Messiah? Who do, this, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asks, who do you say I am? I love what Jesus does here. As he turns the question to them, he makes it personal, right? What about you? Who do you say that I am? But before they can answer it, he answers it for them, spoiler alert, and rewords it to get to the actual point of the question. Do you notice that? I don't want you to tell me the name of the Son of Man because he's me. I want to know who you believe me to be. That's the question that he's asking. Who am I? Who do you believe me to be? Yes, I'm the Son of Man. And it was then in verse 16 that Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah. And then look what he follows it up with. The Son of the living God. So in a moment that I wish that I could have witnessed Peter not only recognizes that the prophesied one stood before him, he now moves beyond that into what God has revealed to him, that Jesus is not just the human Messiah, but Jesus is carrying divinity. The son of the living God. He is divine. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. This is tremendous. This is a spirit-filled revelation that has that is, has massive implications. And so Jesus, in, in, in response to this, goes on to bless Peter, essentially bestowing on him and the church that he was to lead the authority to carry out that, what, that which Jesus would establish through the cross and his resurrection. The keys of the kingdom, whatever you bind and loose, what, what Christ would bind and loose on the cross and establish, Peter and the church were to go out and enact it. And so he confesses Jesus as Lord. Jesus blesses him. That's what's happening here. This is a great revelation. And so it was on the heels of that great confession of Peter that Jesus began from this time on, it says, to explain to his disciples what was coming. Now, this is critical that these two things are right next to each other. This is critical because the divinity of Jesus is directly and perfectly connected to the purpose with which he came to earth. The why behind his being there with them. Up to this point, 
He had taught about God's kingdom. He had healed and restored many people. He had spoken parables in somewhat veiled language. But now that his deity is confessed, Jesus begins to speak directly to his purpose. Why is this important? Just give it to you up front. His purpose was from God, not from man. I don't know, I didn't know how to best communicate this to you or how to put this best into words. I struggled with how to write this out well. What is being revealed here is, is a critical piece within the wondrous mystery of the incarnation. Jesus, who is God there at creation at the beginning of time, has put on human flesh and is now dwelling with his creation. He has walked, he has talked, he has been hungry and angry and sad and joyful and hurt and has suffered as a man because he is one, as one of us, living within full humanness that he might identify with us. And now, as has been recognized that Jesus is also, keyword also, the divine for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell within him, Colossians 1.19. Now that that has been recognized, that Jesus is also the divine, what he came to accomplish is now revealed. The beauty of the incarnation, fully God and fully man, is that Jesus perfectly encapsulates both parties. <laughs> in his humanity, he is able to meet with us and identify with us and struggle with us. But in his divinity, he brings that which only could come from God. Well, what is that? Let's listen to John chapter 6, verse 37. All those the Father gives me, this is Jesus speaking, will come to me. Whoever does not come to me, I will, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And here it is, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Salvation. Jesus has this holy capacity to rescue humans from themselves that you and I do not have. For Jesus is no mere man. He is the divine. In other words, what he came to accomplish was God's mission, and it was to be fulfilled in Jesus' human obedience to his heavenly Father's will. Why are we dwelling on this? as we start this, this path. Why are we dwelling on this? How can we not dwell on this? This is something that Pastor Dan and I geeked out over this week. As we were again struck by the person of Christ, that there is no other being, there is no other person in all of time that had the perfect makeup, fully God, fully man, which we can't even fully understand, perfectly positioned to rescue you and I. And it's Jesus. And he went through with it because he loves you. All of that, all of that rests right here in verse 21, the tipping point between these two passages. From that time on, 
It is a critical moment in Matthew. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. You have that? Can you hold on to that today? Can you hold on to the mystery of the incarnation as we, as we walk through the rest of this passage? It is critical for what we understand next. Hold on to that. So Jesus lays out what's coming now, what he must do, what he came to do. I must go to Jerusalem, four things. I must go to Jerusalem. I must suffer at the hands of the religious leaders. I must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So Peter is now hearing these things right after his confession that Jesus is Lord. And so he hears these things. He chooses not to focus, I think understandably, on the last part, I'll be raised to life. And he focuses on the first three. I must go to Jerusalem, suffer, and be killed. It would have made no logical sense for Jesus to say what he said to Peter. In Peter's mind, after what he had just confessed. Think about it. Peter says, you are God. You are the, the eternal one, the divine. You are God. And Jesus blesses him and says, you got it. And then Jesus says, now I must go suffer and die. Peter goes, hold up. If Jesus was God, it it was unthinkable that he would have to suffer and die at the hands of men. For as much systematic theology as Peter humanly had, that wrench was not getting through the filter. And Scripture says that he rebukes Jesus because of this. It is a, it is a bit of a, of a chastisement coming understandably from, from shock at what he's just heard. Peter, from the, the writing of the, of the passage, the way it's laid out, indicates that it's almost like he grabs Jesus and goes, No! This, what are you talking about? This shall not, could not, will not happen to you. Far be it from you, Lord. And so then Jesus, matching the energy of this future church leader, turns to Peter in an, in an outburst that seems almost opposite of the blessing that we just saw from him six verses ago. And he exclaims, Get behind me, Satan! You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Do you see, do you see the utter tension and, and passion with which is revealed in that statement? Jesus didn't calmly deliver that line. You don't say, get behind me, Satan, calmly. Church, you need to know that the focal point of this passage is not Peter's supposed foot-in-mouth moment that seems a 180-degree turn from a few verses prior. The focal point of this passage is the passion of Christ. The passion of Christ. His dire determination fueled by love to accomplish that which he came to accomplish. This outburst at Peter wasn't as much about Peter. While he did need correcting, as we all do as we learn more about who Christ is, the passion that erupts from Jesus is the vigor with which he is fighting temptation and challenge from the enemy to not complete the task at hand. 
Get behind me, he says. You are a stumbling block to me. That word translated stumbling block or offense, it's the Greek word scandalon. It's where we get the word scandal. It encapsulates that idea of of enticement or, or attempting to cause another to falter or to sin. You are a stumbling block to me. Have you ever stumbled over something? Middle of the night, perhaps? Smashed your toe to smithereens? Now multiply that by a million, and you are nowhere close to the battle that was coming for Jesus. Jesus knew the coming pain that he was to endure. Not just the physical pain of the crucifixion, as horrifying and wretched as that is, but the mental, emotional, and spiritual weight of having every sin and iniquity and brokenness laid on him. Scripture says that he became a curse for us. Words cannot describe the terror that he was to endure and suffer. And be sure that our enemy, Satan, knew this. He knew this. And Satan is exploiting Peter's resolve that surely the living God would not experience such awful things, Lord. That's Peter's mindset. And so Satan exploits that. He's plaguing Jesus and reminding him, reminding Jesus that if indeed, Jesus, you go forward with your plan, the living God will experience unparalleled suffering. Something that in his humanity, Jesus would have been deeply dreading. Do you remember back in Matthew chapter 4? This seems oddly familiar. At the beginning of all this, before Christ's ministry, he was led into the the wilderness by the Spirit to be tested and endure temptation. And so in Matthew chapter 4, this is the same temptation from Satan that that we see now. He took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, Satan said, if you would only bow down and worship me paraphrased, you can still be king and not have to suffer. It was in this way that Jesus is now tempted. He was being pierced, taunted, made to suffer by the enemy in light of the coming crucifixion. Do you see the human agony of that choice? that was before him, in his human weakness, he could see, Jesus could see the relief that could come to him if he gave up on his mission. Oh, but the passion of Christ. Do you see it? Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. No, I am not going to give in. I'm going to fight for what I know is good and true and holy. I'm going to hold firmly to that conviction which I know is from God. 
Fully man Jesus has human concerns, but woven together in perfect tandem are the concerns of God. And so he is set in his determination to finish what he started, to bear the burden of Calvary, to wear sin and shame, to endure suffering, to fight temptation. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus in his passion, is exemplifying what it looks like to vigorously abandon concerns known to his human nature in order to fiercely pursue the will of God that is bound up in his divine nature. Why? Because of his passion for you. Because of his passion for you. for you. He endured the cross for you. The passion of Christ. If we continue in the text, we see Jesus turns now to instruction, almost assuming a new tone here as if the prior moment has happened and is now over. So Scripture says we know that that we're to to resist the devil and he will flee from you. What that looks like, I think, again, would be a whole message, many messages. But we've seen Jesus do this now. He's resisted. It may not always look like that. It may be drawn-out resistance, but in that moment, Jesus resists the enemy. I, I imagine that this was a deep spiritual battle. This was a heavy moment where Jesus resists and the enemy has fled, but I assume that there was still a weight in the room and the disciples would have been wrapped with attention. Maybe Peter in particular. And so then what Jesus models in the prior verses, he turns into instruction, realistic expectations for those that would follow him. Do you see this now? We see coming out of the passion of Christ, the priority of Christ. Let's read again in verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, just after this, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Lose your life. In John chapter 6, I read a bit of that earlier as Jesus is talking about doing his Father's will. Just after that passage, he's instructing his disciples about more kingdom living and taking part in his life and his blood and what all that looks like. And he teaches a bit and and amongst themselves, it says they turn amongst themselves and they go, this is hard teaching. I I would add that here. You want to follow me? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Lose your life. This is hard teaching. Why? Because at my heart, numero uno, moi. This is hard teaching. What he's laying out for them, 
and us is the cost of discipleship. To be my disciple, this is your priority list. This is what it's going to require. You just watched me do it. This is what's going to come for you, and you're going to have to do the same thing. If you're going to follow me, abandon yourself. Take up your cross daily, Luke adds, and follow me. That third one sounds great, but you can't do it without the first two. Abandon yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. This is the cost of discipleship. And again, this is a whole other message to really fully dive into the cost of discipleship. It's a, it's a week's worth, month's worth, lifetime worth learning of what it looks like, a cost of discipleship. So we won't fully dive into everything that we could in these two verses, but as an overview, I want you to see this as the priority of Christ, what He's calling you and I to with the background of the passion of Christ that we just established. Because it is from the passion of Christ, it is from the passion of Christ that we are able to carry out the priority of Christ. And no other way. In verse 24, Jesus gives us three priorities for those who would be his disciples. And in verse 25, he gives a supporting statement to make clearer that which happens when the process is followed. So three things, and I want you to put your gospel glasses on for this. The life of a Jesus follower, the priorities here, denial of self, death of self, and determination of self. Do you see it? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, there's death, and follow me, there's determination. What I love about the gospel, the good news that Christ died for the, forgiveness of, for the forgiveness of sins, that we could have new life with God, all of that according to the scriptures, what I love about that gospel is that it isn't just a one-time understanding or acknowledgement that, that we move past or that it, that it loses its usefulness past the moment of salvation. Rather, it is the continual model of living for the believer. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, Luke says, daily, and follow me. What you understood and acknowledged when you were saved is now the thing you continually put into practice because you have now been saved. Do you see it in those three things that, that Jesus prioritizes? The denial of self. At some point before salvation, we had to come to terms with who we were in comparison to a holy God. We had to recognize our sinful nature as humans and become willing to deny that. I'm going to deny myself. It is within that denial that the Holy Spirit regenerates us and we turn towards Christ, believing in his death and his resurrection, therefore identifying with his death and his resurrection. And so the death of self. As Christ has died, so now I also die to self. The old me is no longer around. He has died. Died to what I wanted, died to sin, died to my broken human will, and now I have determination of self. New me is set in a new direction with new purpose and new life, determined to follow the one who has saved me because new me is Jesus moving forward because I am unified with him. That is what happens at salvation. And then Jesus prioritizes these same things as a continual way to live, to follow, to, to live in this way and continue your belief. 
not to gain salvation, but rather to live it out. So what do those things look like now? The denial of self, the death of self, the determination of self, as we walk out our faith as Christians, as believers. Really, all three of these, they run together. They work together. And you can see this is masterfully done by the master in the first part of the passage that we read. Jesus denied himself, abandoning human concerns that would be common to you and I. But you notice that, de- that in his denial, denying yourself, this wasn't just a one-time deal for Jesus as far as denying is concerned. Remember Saint- Satan's pointed temptations in Matthew chapter 4? He had to deny then Jesus' continual run-ins with the religious leaders of the day that he could have flipped on in any moment. I think of the Garden of Gethsemane, which was coming just prior to this gruesome death where he's weeping in prayer. He's sweating blood, wrestling with, yet submitting to the will of his Father, saying, if there's any way to let this cup pass from me, Father, please, but not my human will. Your will be done. Denial is denial of self. It is an everyday battle. And it is counterintuitive to our human nature. That's why it's called denial. But what you will find, what you will find, church, is that as you battle, as you deny and take up your cross daily, you will begin to see that your old self will start to die off. And you will start looking more and more like Christ. Christ calls us to pick up our cross daily. That picture would have been very poignant for the disciples. They knew what crucifixion was. Jesus was going to face it. There are some things that you are going to have to endure. Can I speak to your heart for a minute? There are some things that you are going to have to endure. You are going to have to walk through and stumble through learning that His grace is sufficient for you. But as you look to your Savior and you walk that out faithfully, what will end up being produced in you by the power of the Holy Spirit is holiness. Christ-likeness, where you look more like Him and you act like Him and you talk like Him and you think like Him. It is a lifelong process. We've been made holy in Christ, but we are being made holy in Christ. Already, not yet. Denial of self, taking up your cross. Again, what did that look like for Jesus? Let's go back to that first part. Passionately and vigorously. How are you to do this? Is what I'm asking. How are you to to live out the priority of Christ? What did Jesus do? Passionately and vigorously he fought through temptation and suffering. Hebrews 12.2 says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. What was the joy set before him? You. Your rescue. Your salvation. That was the joy set before him. And so with passionate determination, he put away human concerns for the perfect will of God. And that was the joy set before him. 
to accomplish that which he came to accomplish. Salvation for you and I. And then you and I are called to then live that salvation out in the same way that Christ modeled for us. In his book, The Cost of Discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this. He said, discipleship means adherence to the person of Jesus and therefore submission to the law of Christ, which is the law of the cross. The priority of Christ, discipleship, following Jesus, means that I must be willing to die to self, continually putting off the things within me that are not from God, and also enduring that which wants to tempt me away from completing the mission of God. It is both of those things. Putting off the sin within me and enduring the suffering that might come because we walk in brokenness. We walk through a broken world. Our brokenness has been restored in Christ in us but we still are living in a broken world and we have to endure and, and we may have to suffer through some things. This is what it requires. The desire to think of myself first, abandon it. The desire to put my busy schedule in front of my relationship with Jesus, abandon it. The desire to cheat on my taxes, abandon it. The suffering of anxiety, endure it. Keep fighting for what you know is true. The suffering of a broken relationship, endure it. The desire to lust after a woman, abandon it. The desire to covet someone else's husband, abandon it. The suffering of great pain and loss, endure it. The desire to give somebody else what they really deserve, abandon it. The suffering of losing your innocence at the hands of another and working through that pain, endure it. The desire to live my faith outside of the accountability of a local church, abandon it. The temptation to think that you're the only one, deny it. That list could go on forever. It is a daily battle, one that I face personally. I want you to understand that none of this is to communicate a lack of understanding or making light of circumstances or a dismissal of your pain. Rather, it is the opposite of that. It is recognizing it, and it is a plea to say, keep fighting. Keep fighting because you have a Savior who passionately fought for you first. It is a plea to say, no, I am not going to give in. I'm not going to believe the lie. I'm going to fight for what I know is good and true and holy. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's not just to hang in there. It's fight because you have a Savior who fought for you. This is not an easy road. But remember that Jesus did it first so that we could follow after him. Church, he did it perfectly knowing that we would follow him imperfectly and he could cover us with his grace and his forgiveness. 
Before we close, I want you to see what the passion and the priority of Christ leads to. So out of being recipients of the passion of Christ and following Him with everything that we are, what we are to receive is the profit of Christ. Verse 26 and 27, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man, that is all for naught, but the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. He is coming back. And it may feel like this life stretches on or the season that you're in stretches on, but it's a mere shadow in the light of eternity. He will come in all His glory with His angels and with His judgment to restore all things. And for those who hold firmly to their convictions, who take seriously the new life that has been so freely offered to them, Christ will come back and reward us for what we have done. You will receive the ultimate reward. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood that test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. This is not a stacking up of accolades or an earning of of merit by our good deeds. Rather, those who have been faithful to follow Jesus, denying self and enduring suffering at the coming of Christ, will finally and fully be bathed in his glory, immersed in his goodness, and in the bliss of his presence. talked about a feast. This feeds your soul. It should feed your soul. I want to invite the team to come to the platform. They're going to help us respond and worship. As I was preparing this message today, it was hard just to not say, we're just going to read through Hebrews today. I encourage you to do that. If you need, if you need what we're talking about today to, to sink into your heart, Go read Hebrews, and then read it again, and then read it again, and read it again. The sufficiency of Christ and what He came to do, what He came to accomplish, that is now something that we get to receive so freely and rest in and know about ourselves because of who God is and who we are now because of what He's done. So I thought it was appropriate as we close our time today, I just want to read a bit of Hebrews to you. So I want you to just sit there. I want you to close your eyes. I want this to wash over you, this God's Word. Ask Him to speak to you through this Word today. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Since the children of flesh and blood, He too shared in their humanity so that by His death, He might break the power of Him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, 
Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Church, do you see within Jesus a Savior that you can identify with? He struggled first. He endured first. In his passion, he made a way and then sent his spirit to live within you that you can now, with that same passion, live with set determination to follow him, fighting the good fight, enduring suffering, battling temptation, abandoning human selfishness and earthly desires to pursue him. This is not to be a part of your life. This is to be your life. Holy sanctified, set apart, holy unto the Lord and hopeful for the eternal reward that is on its way. Wherever you are today, whatever it is that you face, He has already won that battle. He's already won. And because of what He's done, you can fight. You can endure. You can endure. I want you to close your eyes and let's pray together. Again, I don't know where you're at this morning, what burdens you walked in with, the challenges that you face, the season that you're in, the temptation that just doesn't seem to go away, the pain that comes back, the lie that keeps trying to force its way into your heart and your mind. Be encouraged today that Jesus, more than any other person, more than any other being, is fully able to meet you right there. He will walk with you. He will talk with you. He will sustain you by His grace. And there is healing to be found in Christ because He walked that road first. He has done it. He accomplished what He came to accomplish. So Lord, we give you praise. We give you glory. We honor you with our lips and our worship. Lord, our whole selves. We know that we were bought at a price. We are not our own. By the blood of your son, Jesus, Father God, you, you have purchased us and you have made a way for us to walk with passion and determination to do what it is you have called us to do as you have demonstrated that so perfectly for us. So Lord, I'm asking you to meet people where they need to be met today.
Lord, you are already here because we're here and you are amongst your people. Your presence is here with us. Lord, I don't want us to miss, I don't want us to miss the healing. I don't want us to miss the healing that is available in Christ today. So Lord, in your sovereignty, in your ordering of things, will you minister, will you minister to someone who needs you? God, reveal yourself to that person. Break down that wall of insecurity. Lord, may they give you their fear. May they hand you their, their doubts. Lord, who might you save this morning? Who might you save? Church, I'm going to invite you to stand. Worship team is going to lead us. But I want you, whether it's here, at the altar, or the altar of your seat, the altar of your heart, you meet with the Lord. You meet with the Lord. Know his passion for you. Know that he loves you, that he's fought for you, and that we can overcome because he's already won the battle. Let's worship. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have any questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world 